Hello, Joanna. Hello, Nate. And hello to you listeners. How's everyone doing? How is everyone doing? We're Stranger Than. We're a podcast that talks about some weird shit, creepy shit. And this time, we're talking about the Old West, or some stories from the Old West. The American Old West, to be specific. Tall tales of the Old West. Some of which are not so tall. But they became tall because they were real. And then they became, you know, taller. Bigger than real. Tales nevertheless. <laughs> so why don't you get us started, Joanna? All right. Well, the first tale I'm going to tell is about the Red Ghost. The Red Ghost. It's 1855, and this guy, his name is Edward Fitzgerald Beale, and he's a Texas war veteran. I'm not exactly sure which war, but I think it was like some war maybe with Mexico or something for Texas. Probably. Or maybe, yeah, he was just a Texan who was a war veteran is probably what they were saying. Not referring to a Texas, the Texas war as a specific war. Yeah, but it had to be something out there because 1855, I mean, that's before Civil War. Yes, so, I, they were probably fighting Mexico. Yeah, some yeah, something was going on. Something was going on. It was possible that at that time Texas was its own country. Yeah, it might not even be the Republic of Texas quite yet, but nevertheless, he has this idea that when the army is like ex they're expanding out there in Texas, and instead of being like a regular cavalry. Because horses were so hard to care for in the desert. Yeah. He suggested that maybe they should do camels instead. He put a, this forth. A camel cavalry. To the U.S. government. <laughs> yes, it was. All right. <laughs> and it was approved. Like two years later, they the U.S. imported 75 camels and formed a U.S. Army Camel Corps. Crazy. Mm-hmm. One group was stationed in Texas, and then the other in California. That was like 1857. I guess it was kind of like a hard sell on the local mule breeders out there, and they didn't like it, and camels are actually awful to work with. Yeah, they're so... really assholes. <laughs> they spit, and yeah. they're quite... Not so much... They can be aggressive, but they're more... Headstrong. Very headstrong. I don't think the new Camel Corps was just working out so great as it was. And then the Civil War starts four years later, 1861. Yep. And so they didn't have much sudden... use for camels in the Civil War. <laughs> camels, like, over in Texas and California, no less. Right. There wasn't a whole lot going on. There was a little bit. Not in California so much. but Definitely not in California. But oddly enough, uh, Confederate troops captured the herd. Oh. From the U.S. Army. Oh, hey. Now, I, I don't think any battles were ever fought in Texas. It's the Texas herd. Obviously, they didn't get the, the California herd. But I'm imagining, like, when it breaks out, like, people either enlist in one army or the other. In some states, yeah. more one than the other, obviously. And a lot of people so, left where they were to go back to their state so they could enlist in whichever side they so desired. Yeah, so I'm I'm guessing uh, there was a troop formed of Confederate soldiers who then decided to, like, you know, fuck with, like, the local army soldiers. Yeah, we'll take the camels. And, yeah, we'll take the camels. Uh, you know, I, I can't say how sorry they were to lose the camels. Yeah. 
uh, the Confederates turned them loose. Like, either they decided it was a bad idea because <laughs> camels are dicks, or they just took them and didn't, you know, want to... They didn't yeah. want to use them themselves. They just didn't want them to be used by the enemy. Exactly. And, yeah, camels are way better in the desert than horses. So oh, yeah. the pack just continued on for the next few decades. Really? Yeah. Do we have There's wild ra- camels in Texas? Not anymore. Oh. Okay, but for... Decades after, almost wow. like a hundred years after, I wow. think I, I get to it at the end, like when the the last of the the wild camel herd died. Um, yeah, but this is when the story of the red ghost begins. It's eighteen eighty three. Two women, they're home alone with their kids. They're in Arizona. It's kind of like. It's 1883 in Arizona desert. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's just fucking dark. nothing. There's just Quiet, nothing. besides the animals. Oh, man. Their husbands are off doing whatever. They're home alone. One of the women goes out into the yard. There's, like, there's a spring to, like, collect some water. And the other woman left in the house suddenly hears the dog barking. And then she hears screams. And what she sees freaks her out so bad that by the time the men get home, they find her, like, barricaded, like, out of her mind with fear. Wow. (laughs) And the only thing she could, like, you know, say was just that she saw a red, enormous beast and that it looked like it was being ridden by the devil. Yowza. Yeah. They run out to the spring to investigate. And they find the body of the the woman who went out there, like trampled to death, like flat. I oh mean, God! Just, like, super. That's no up. good. No, it's like human roadkill. Yeah, and then there's like these giant cloven hoof prints. They're way bigger than any horses. And ima- I mean, cloven hooves. I mean, that yeah, had to freak them don't out. Have cloven no, hooves. they don't. And and it looks like it's being ridden by a devil. That would. That'd be pretty freaky. He just smashes this chick to death. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you say she, I mean, what what did she get trampled by if you don't say it was what they say it was? Right. I mean, how do you rationalize that? Like a herd of goats or just one large goat? (laughs) Or she was trampled by a giant hog? Well, it had to have been giant because the hoof print, the huge hoof prints, and then they found a few long red hairs in some of the bushes that... They've been like trampled in such a way you could tell, like, so, you know, like something like busting huge through the brush, busting through yeah. there. Now, just a few days later, there two uh, gold miners were camping, and this is like several miles, kind of, so not very far, not too far, not but too not far right from there. from where the 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 family was living. And they wake up in the middle of the night to their tent being like trampled and basically collapsing all over them. They hear what sounds like a scream and the pounding of hooves. And then what they see, as they described it, was it was like a horse that was like too tall to be. Like a giant horse. Yeah, like a giant horse that couldn't possibly be a horse because it's so big. Yeah. And. Yeah. Was it also ridden by the devil? That they did not say anything about it being ridden by the devil. They went to a local mining camp nearby, and several miners went back with them later on to investigate the scene. Yeah, they're like, oh, you let's go check this shit <laughs> yeah. out. 
again, they would find the huge cloven hoof prints and some stray red hairs in the foliage around them. Not too long after that, a man named Cyrus Hamblin, he was a rancher and he was just like riding his lands out there. Yeah, checking his... Doing ranch things, checking his livestock, checking... Fixing fences, probably. Mm Mm-hmm. He happens to spot a huge reddish animal moving through the brush. And he, too, notices that there's something really weird about the... Not only is it like a giant red camel, I mean, he doesn't seem so disturbed about that, but he... But what is on the camel appears to him it was like a man. And if it was, it seemed like he was not alive, is what he said. He was quite certain he was not alive. A dead dude. A dead dude. Not alive usually means dead. (laughs) like slumped over or was he still was he dead and actively riding the animal i think it would be slumped over something like that because if you are just like yeah that guy's dead there's a guy on there but he's dead he's totally dead basically moves with the sway of the animal and yeah this guy was, like, known for being just, like, a straight shooter and just, like, one of these, like, manly men rancher guys oh, yeah, who's, totally. like, true to his word and doesn't fuck around and and doesn't, you know, do no foolishness. I mean, he Doesn't smile, doesn't <laughs> drink. All he does is read the Bible and ranch. Yeah. But the whole thing, like, there was a dead man on the, the camel. People were just kind of like, oh, I don't know, but you're such a stand-up guy that, okay... We believe you, Cyrus. If you say you saw it, then you must at least believe you saw it. This does get proven actually quite right. There is, in fact, a body strapped to the camel, it seems. (laughs) Because a few days later, there's a group of uh, ranchers. This time there was like, I don't know, like four or five of them. Either ranchers or I think uh, they're looking for gold or whatever. Or looking to screw people, like, selling gold. Who knows? Bearded dudes with guns, probably. (laughs) They're about 60 miles from Hamblin's Ranch. And they found this animal out way out there, probably because you can see for forever. Yeah, it's just flat. It's just out there eating. And they all start taking shots at it. And they thought they were, you know, far but within shooting distance. Yeah. And they couldn't fucking hit it they couldn't all five of them couldn't hit this giant camel their distance was probably off because they expected (laughs) it to be one size and so it'd be you know from that distance would be a certain if it was a regular size would be closer than if it was bigger it'd be farther away and be the same size yeah perspective so the camel starts running away the second they start firing the shots, obviously, because... Shit's loud. Yeah, shit's loud. That's what you do. (laughs) Whether you're a man or an animal, if you're being shot at, you fucking run. Yep. (laughs) When they caught up to the place where it had been standing, they found a skull on the ground. It was described in a local newspaper, I think the Mojave County Miner. It was a human skull with a few shreds of flesh and hair uh, still clinging to it. Huh. Yes. So they presume that the skull was from the 
dead rider of the yes. camel? Yes. Human skull. Well, that's weird. That is weird. And thus the red ghost legend was born because that's pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's real fucking crazy. It soon became the whole talk of the area, though, and everybody loves to tell stories at the campfire because that's what you do when it's like 1893 or whatever. And... Yep, and you don't got anything else to do mm-hmm. but tell stories. Yeah, tell some stories. So it the stories grew to where the red ghost was seen and it would disappear, vanish into thin air, and... One person even claimed to have seen it kill a grizzly bear. Oh. (laughs) That sounds like a thing that happened. (laughs) In the end, it was a farmer named Mizzou, or a rancher. I don't know the proper term. (laughs) Yeah, something. Bearded dude with a gun, probably. He wakes up one morning, looks out his window, and there's the red ghost fucking nibbling on his tomatoes and his turnips. <laughs> and he's like, hey, this is my fucking vegetables. And he shoots him and kills him. Just boom. Fucking him from his window, and that was the end. Now, when you they examined the red ghost and determined it was indeed an actual just camel and that, yeah, somebody had been, like, strapped to it, all they could really say was... That it was a white man who had done it, I guess, by how the knots were tied and just it wasn't it wasn't something the the local natives would have done. Yeah. Even even when they were like even when both parties are doing awful things to each other, that that wasn't like their style. No, they weren't they weren't catching people and attaching them to animals and letting the animals run free. Yeah. That yeah, that seems like a lot of work for very little payoff. It was definitely they couldn't tell whether the person was alive or dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what, did they just do it for fun just to, like, fuck with the animal? And, like, how did they, I mean, this animal that, like, kills people, like, somehow <laughs> somebody managed to tie a fucking corpse to it. Or maybe an alive person. If the person was alive at the beginning, like, that would yeah, no. that would imply something against the person. Maybe not so much the camel, but, uh, yeah. Who knows? That's super that, weird because. That's what, you know. And it's also strange because I believe camels have toes. I believe they have three toes. I don't know. They they have a I don't think that they're not they're not hooved and that's what makes them better on sand. They do have weird toes though. They yeah, is like do. a cloven hoof toe they thing. Probably, I think it's like the... a it's separated in the middle. It's yeah. like two toes on either side. And so... I'll bet you if you live in the Midwest in the 1800s you've never seen a camel track before. Mm-mm. And so, and, and especially well, in like and it's, deserty and it's sand. fucking red and giant, and it's got, and it did have the fucking devil, so you know, yeah, yeah. strapped to it. It was riding it. You could Shit's see crazy, where, yeah. oh my god, where people. This is what this. It was in fact a a camel, a rather fearsome camel with a body that was strapped to it, and under some circumstance, we'll never know. Damn, that's but, fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that is the story of. The Red Ghost, and, oh, like I said, here is the date that the last one died. They were all eventually captured and killed. All, all the, killed? The, captured or killed, Captur- I should oh, okay, say. okay, okay. Yeah. Now, captured and killed. Yeah, That's not it. all of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure some, but yeah. The last uh, rogue feral camel, its name was Topsy, and it died at the Los Angeles Zoo in 1934. Wow. And they were out there from like the eighteen, like sixty, like sometime after the Civil War started. They yeah. were 
freed by the local Confederate Crazy. troop. <laughs> I wonder if the reason that they're they're no longer there is they were all male. I don't know. I or don't know. All female. Just, I don't know the purchasing there was no breeding thing. Still, like, do camel really live like thirty years? Because that's when the. I mean, and that's they had to have been breeding because they wouldn't have lived that long. I don't know what the life. Yeah, I it's guess definitely in the 1934, not 1938. That's... Yeah, they can't live like 60 or like 70 years or yeah, something. It, it yeah, would, they they must, have... there must have been some breeding that mm-hmm. would happen then. Yeah, you're right. I would Never believe... did know what happened to the other California ones, but it wasn't that one at the Los Angeles Zoo. It was one of the wild ones that yeah, had been yeah. freed and, and <laughs> lived out in the wild for like three fucking decades. More than three decades. That's totally crazy. Like five, like 50 years. <laughs> 50, 60 years. That's crazy. Well, here I have the story of Asa Mercer. Back in the days when Washington State was Washington Territory, there was a problem that the inhabitants had. Yeah, they there was disease and famine and whatnot, but that's not the problem we're speaking of. It's not? It's not. The problem we're speaking about is lack of women. Oh, dear. There were so few women in the territory that local newspapers were full of essays on the subject. And when dances were held, men with women got in free, which is still somewhat a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. However, if a man showed up with extra women, he received 25 cents per extra woman. really want to be a woman anywhere around those parts at that time. Washington Territory became a thing March 2nd, 1853, and became a state November 11th, 1889. That equates out to a range of $8.38 to $7.01 per woman after the first, depending upon when you went to the dance. Wow, that's really cheap. Yeah. Washington was, like, shitty like that. Well, I mean, also, that went a lot farther then than it does now. $7 is, like, nothing now. No. Seven is totally like the new, like, four. In 1860, a meeting was announced in the Puget Sound Herald, inviting all eligible bachelors to attend so they could put their heads together and figure out how to resolve the lack of woman problem. Meeting after meeting was held discussing this issue, until, finally, Asa Mercer told everyone of his brilliant plan. They were just going to go to New England and ask someone if they wanted to come to Washington. <laughs> this is what they were going to do. I bet you could find a few, especially if you look in, like, you know, the brothels and stuff. Well, I mean, why wouldn't you want to start your right. life new? I mean, mm-hmm. it was a new start. You know you, they needed, I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities. Sure, better than in New England. Maybe not, but this, so, there, so the way this was going to work is they were going to go by land east, and mm-hmm. then they were going to recruit women. And then take them by ship to the West Coast. Okay. So this was a hell of a trip. Oh, yeah. They always were back in the day. Jesus. There was no Northwest Passage. There's barely a Northwest Passage now. As it stands, I think only a few boats can get through there a couple weeks or maybe a month out of the year in the summer. (laughs) There was no Panama Canal. So that means they had to go. Like all the way. All the way the fuck around. So they were going down the east coast of America, down the east coast of South America, down all the way to Cape Horn, uh and then back back up. up. Oh, man. 1,700 miles. That is a trip. Now, this isn't the first time this sort of plan was enacted. Back in the 1600s, Virginia Colony tobacco farmers paid 120 pounds of tobacco for a young virgin British girl. Folks would recruit the women from England, and upon their arrival in the New World, They'd get purchased at the docks as wives. 
Oh my God. It wow. It seems that for the most part, these women went on their own volition. I didn't do much research on the subject. I just heard the they story. They went on a few their times. own volition, but still had to like stand there and like just be married to whoever picked them and paid for them. I'm not exactly sure how the whole thing went down. That should totally be like a reality TV show now. They practically are, except there isn't much, any yeah. there isn't any changing of actual money that so you can't technically call it prostitution. Right. Oh yeah. So it's unknown whether or not Mercer was aware of the 1600s thing, but if not, it doesn't really matter. It still was an idea. Today, 120 pounds of tobacco is worth $242.40. This plan got the, North, the Pacific Northwest bachelors all aflutter, and Mercer would have been funded by the public had the public coffers not been empty. Fortunately, he had the backing of some private citizens with deep pockets. Mm. On his first trip back to New England, he recruited 11 women to make the 7,000-mile, 11,265-kilometer trip back to Washington Territory. He sold them by telling them of the opportunities the West held, and that they'd be doing a service to their country by taking up positions as school teachers, nurses, dressmakers, and other occupations. He was selling them on work, not on the fact that they were going to get husbands right off the boat. Yeah, he wanted. He he was like, I'm not gonna be crude and be like, Yo, we're gonna get you some men. Mm-hmm. He was like, No, 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 no. You've got you can you've got these opportunities. You know, you're gonna and, step off the dock and they're gonna fucking buy you. <laughs> yeah, because that's you know scary. <laughs> In 1864, he took these first eleven women to Seattle, where they were quickly taken up as brides. The story didn't go into depth as to how this whole thing went down, but hopefully it was less slave market and more the bachelorette. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure mm-hmm. how The Bachelorette actually worked, but I assume it's more of a lady's choice kind of show. Right. Well, and like I said, it's like prostitution, but like no money actually changes hands officially. On but the, so is Tinder. On, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Isn't, isn't, that's just, what isn't it... dating just like prostitution with the exception you're not actually being honest about what you're looking for? <laughs> Instead of being like, I want sex, here's some money, you Say, I want sex, and you go out to dinner with somebody. I seriously wish it was that easy with someone that you like. Like, Oh, just be like, here's, you know, like, I got 25 bucks for a whatever. <laughs> I don't know what the going rate is. <laughs> I think it's more than 25 bucks. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it depends on uh, the who and the what. I don't want somebody that would only cost 25 bucks. Or that I would only pay 25 bucks for, because... <laughs> I Maybe spend that's that all on, you like, got. I don't know. Fucking lunch, you know. <laughs> Hell, I don't know. It's it's got to be worth more than that for me to even want it in the first place. Well, he was bolstered by his first journey and was considered a hero by those in the Seattle area. Additionally, he was elected unanimously to the Territorial Legislative Assembly, which is just what morphed into the Washington State government. Basically, it was just the territorial government body. It's said that Mercer didn't really care much about making money doing this. On this next trip, he was charging $300 for each woman's passage. But fame. He was interested in fame. He wanted this to be something the whole nation was aware of. Mm, you know, that's always what gets people is like the, just the need for the fame. Now, he also wanted to give homes to those orphaned and widowed by the Civil War, which... That was a lot right at yeah, that time. And there was a lot of opportunity and a lot of 
places, a lot of space out in the Pacific Northwest at the time. Apparently, Mercer had a personal tie with Abraham Lincoln, who used to bounce him as a baby on his knee. Oh, wow. The plan for this trip was to gain an audience with Lincoln, tell him about his plan, which he'd obviously be thrilled about, and get some real backing behind him. Sadly, he arrived on the East Coast right around the same time Lincoln was shot by some douche. John Wilkes Booth. Or whoever. Instead of Lincoln, he pitched his idea to John A. Andrews, Republican governor of Massachusetts from 1861 to 1866, and he was a very popular politician, kind of a rock star. Andrews liked the idea and put Mercer in touch with a guy who put him in touch with a guy. He was pretty much sent to a whole bunch of places to pitch his idea to a bunch of dudes. Some liked it, some didn't like it, but no one had any cash to help him out. The story goes that he eventually got to speak with Ulysses S. Grant, who had seen firsthand the lack of women in the West <laughs> during his uh, Civil War campaigns. He'd hit the jackpot. Grant was able to arrange a steamship able to carry 500 women from New York City to Seattle. This was arranged via personal voucher. A personal voucher which was refused by the Quartermaster General, which is the person in charge of the supplies for the whole army. President Johnson and his cabinet thought that Mercer's idea was good, but they did find it a bit immoral. <laughs> they did pressure the Quartermaster General enough that he offered Mercer a deal. He'd give him a 1,600-ton ship, which is around 65 feet or 20 meters long, for $80,000 cash, which is $1.2 today. Mercer didn't have that kind of money. Fortunately, he knew a dude in Portland who did. So it's like their moral opposition is it can still be bought away. They just need more money and they well, won't no. be so like opposed so the, and they'll let him do it. Well, what happened was so, so Mercer shows up and he's like with like the letter or whatever from Grant and the quartermaster general is like, I'm not giving you a steamship, dude. <laughs> just like what the f no. Okay. I'm yeah, not like doing you're not this. just like getting it for free. Like, well, yeah, exactly. Okay. He like uh, Grant was just going to have him take it to the West Coast. No, no big deal. Mm hmm. It's like, yeah, Quartermaster sure, General was probably was like, nah, that's that's not what's gonna happen. Mm -mm. But President Johnson and his cabinet, they were like, well, it's a good idea. It's kind of morally gray, but come on, Quartermaster General, can't you do something? To which the Quartermaster General was like, well, I've got this boat for this amount of money. Best I can do. Exactly. <laughs> He's all like fucking pawn stars on it. Basically, entrepreneur Ben Holiday from Portland thought it would be a really great idea to have a ship that size on the West Coast, which is true. If anything were to happen, it would be nice to have a steamship. Definitely. Can always use a steamship. Yep. He'd totally pay 80 grand for the ship to be delivered to him by Mercer, and was fine with Mercer bringing a bunch of women with him. Mercer was stoked. Now he had a ship. He started heavily advertising his plans, saying that the only thing wrong with the women in the West was that there wasn't enough of them. Not nearly enough to fill the jobs that were considered women's work. You know, the, the school teaching and the dressmaking and mm -hmm. what have you. And then the being married and baby making and ba stuff. Homemaking, yeah. that was a big mm -hmm. one. I, I imagine that was like the majority of the need. Yep. Or a perceived need. Yep. Unfortunately for him, his reception was pretty mixed. The only state where any records are found about the whole deal is New York. The New York Times reported this his idea as a great opportunity. He said, women, do it. You're doing good for your country. It'll be good, <laughs> good, doing good for you. yippee ki -yay. 
the New York Herald emphatically warned people against it. Do not do this. This is a terrible idea. They're trying to steal you away. You know, the, the, the good women of New England being taken away by these savages in the West. When everything was said and done, 100 women were still ready to head out West. He had had more. Some had dropped off, but he still had 100. A fifth of what he wanted, but still 100 women. One woman, who eventually landed in Whidbey Island, recalled in an article in Washington Historical Quarterly that the ship had only been slightly cleaned since its life as a Union Army transport, which is to say it was pretty fucking gross. Oh, yeah. All those, like, men just, like, bunched Bloody up and together. Yeah. And yeah. Not, not mm -mm. good. She was like, it, it was barely deloused. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they always had lice. Mm-hmm. Lice and dysentery. Yep. Was the plague. Nothing but a runny ass and mm. itchy body. Yeah. So gross. Additionally, Mercer, who had been quite dashing on dry land, hid out in a coal storage room until they were well out to sea. I'm assuming he was just hiding from women who were kind of sold on this beautiful, wonderful idea and they got thrown on this shitty tub. The only food worth a goddamn on the ship was at the captain's table which is where Mercer would take his meals after he came out from hiding. That is until the people he brought on board made him see he was being a real dick for, you know, eating all the good food and letting them not really have very much. Wow. After that, he shared what food he had with the others. Even with that, it was a hungry trip. And possibly because of that, it was also a seasickness-free trip. You can't puke if you got nothing to puke up. Well, this is... They're making the whole trip around, right? Yes. South of, yeah. Yes. Like, that's a long fucking trip in a shitty, like, not cleaned up, gross. Not a lot of food. Yeah. Oh, that must have sucked so fucking bad. Oh, I'm be sure. Like, why did I do this? Like, why? Yep. Yep. <laughs> it took some time, but eventually Mercer and the women arrived in Seattle. Uh, a few of the women left in California, but most arrived in Washington Territory, and many did, in fact work as school teachers, and things of the like. Asa Mercer himself fell in love with one of the women from the journey, Annie Stevens, from Baltimore, Maryland, and they married. And that's the story of how Washington caught women. Mm-hmm. Now, is Mercer Island named after this Mercer guy? I believe so, but I'm not 100%. Did they land in Mercer Island first? No, they land in <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> well, it's close. It's pretty close. It is pretty close. And who knows, maybe Mercer Island was part of Seattle at the time. It's an interesting story. It is. It's pretty weird. I mean, I don't. I can understand how some people would want to do that. Be like, yeah, adventure. It's, I'm bored of being around here. This is all dirty and stuff. Let's go out to where it's. That was just kind of like the life. Like, people were such pioneers and adventurers, like, way back when there was, like. Places to go pioneer and adventure to? Right, yeah. yeah. Like, the entire fucking world wasn't settled and yep. overpopulated. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hard to go adventuring these days. Yeah. Was, at least, I mean, it's like usually like an, a designated adventure spot. Like, oh, here's like a this, zone like, you go to. Right. Yeah. Like there's national parks or whatever. And, and not just let's go out and into the unknown. Yeah. And just see what's out there and like build your own house and just live off of whatever the land provides. That's yeah. pretty nuts. Hard. Definitely hard. Oof. But probably less difficult if it's something you're raised to do like they were back then. Just as difficult 
but they are we're used to less comforts than we are. Mm-hmm. Our, our our homeless are probably more comfortable than I wouldn't say they're rich, but you know, a regular person at the time. Yeah, just an average person. Yeah, yeah, that would not surprise me. Well, now I'm going to tell you a little story about a man named Elmer McCurdy. Elmer McCurdy. That's quite a name. (laughs) Hello, y'all. I'm Elmer McCurdy. He was born in 1880 on New Year's Day. And he wanted to be like a famous and successful Wild West bank robber cowboy at the oh time. yeah like a highwayman except mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah except most of his plans like totally blundered he did some like train robberies he did enough like bad stuff to where he was wanted and yeah all that kind of shit but he wasn't like super famous because he'd only been doing it for a little while he had just he it was kind of like breaking bad he actually <laughs> yeah. knew shit about like explosives and stuff he was like in the army and like an army engineer or whatever. Yeah, and so he knew stuff about explosives. And on October 7th, 1911, 31 years old, uh, he is confronted by like a posse of, like the sheriff's posse, basically. Uh, r- r- Rut-row. <laughs> <laughs> so in Oklahoma, I mean, literally like posse come riding up on you and he was kind of like drunk in the bushes or something. Right. Like alone and... And yeah, and he wasn't, he always said he would never be taken alive. And so there's a a shootout ensues and he's killed. All right. He goes to the local embalmer, a man named Johnson, and nobody comes to claim his body. And he's just like aggravated because he totally preserved him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's not cheap. Yeah. I mean, they learned it in the Civil War and this is, yeah, uh, yeah. And this is post Civil War, but they have so they have the technique down. Yeah, it's, it's a big change from the shitty way you know, they used 50 to do years before. Yeah, yeah, kind of how they did it with uh, with Lincoln's uh, kids or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was like sort of worked, but ugh. Ugh, yeah, ugh, exactly. He does a really good job preserving him, and he has him in like. He just like puts him on display at his funeral parlor <laughs> and he charges people like five cents of viewing. Wow. Of, like hey. the outlaw. And people used to um, put coins in his mouth as a way of paying it. Oh, they'd right. Put it they, in the dead guy's mouth. They'd put the money in the mouth and they'd pose and that was it. Yeah, That's... exactly. Exactly. And there's one story allegedly of somebody witnessing the, the guy's kids. It like it had the corpse on skates and we're like pulling it around. Oh God! Yeah, <laughs> sort of a weekend at Bernie sort of scenario. This is exactly like when I was reading about it. That the article said that exactly that. <laughs> you were getting oh, all man. weekend at Bernie's That's on up hilarious. at the funeral home with the dead guy's corpse. Five years, this guy had it before two guys come along and say that they're his long lost brothers to claim the body. And so the funeral guy was like, okay, fine. I mean, I've had my fun with him. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully he made enough back on the viewings that yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure. he was I mean, reimbursed for his embalming services. Sure, it was only a few bucks at the time. Which, to I mean, embalm, he, I got to so. hand it to him. He did a great job. Hey, yeah. He did a great job because the guys that said that they were his brothers were actually not his brothers. Shocking. <laughs> Didn't I know, see that right? coming at all. Right. It was a. Uh, 
Charles and James Patterson, and they they were carnies. Basically. Of course they were. <laughs> they had a fucking sideshow. They, they had a sideshow, and so he was on there for the next like several years yeah, that's so funny and then he he just ended up all over the place because like when like one thing folded he get like sold to like somewhere else he was he was in a matte wax museum for a while he was like a prop in movies okay weird i wonder if he ever ended up with barnum and bailey i don't know one of the movies is like um it was made in like 1967 okay oh, wow and it was it was called she freak <laughs> and I want to see it now, like really badly. <laughs> she freak. Was that a uh, Ed Wood movie? Do you know? I have no idea. But after that, he went to the Hollywood Wax Museum and they were just like, oh, we're not going to display this. They thought maybe it, at, by then it was like a wax figure or something. Yeah, yeah. Because by the time it was discovered that like this prop and display thing, I mean, it's it's like 1976, a couple of weeks before Christmas. And this cast and crew is there. This crew is filming on set at this one weird fun house called Queens Park Laugh in the Dark Fun House. Queens Park Laugh in the Dark Fun House. That that has sounds, got a, that's got a nice ring to it. It does. And it's really creepy, too. Yeah. Like Laugh in the Dark Fun House. Like, I don't know about that. They're filming a TV show called The Six Million Dollar Man. Okay. Wait. Right now they're refilled. They're no, okay, no, the, about, okay. Nineteen seventy six. Okay, I was I was confused at the uh, like, Queens, you know, yeah. laugh in the dark fun house thing. Yeah, I've they're filming show this show called uh, Have You the yeah. Six Million Dollar Man, and one of the prop guys like is is I don't know. I guess they were gonna, they're they're shooting a scene, and I guess either they wanted it or they wanted it out. I am not quite sure which, but. When the guy went to like move it, we grabbed the arm, it just like broke off. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when they realized it wasn't like a dummy, it was like painted and it had like a noose around its uh neck. It wow. was like hanging from a noose and like painted like neon red or something like Crazy. that. Crazy. And the arm just fucking breaks off. And at that point, they see like muscle and bone. Like, oh shit. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, it's a fucking human. Do you know what the six million dollar man was about? It's some. It was some sci-fi kind of. Yeah, it was yeah. like some guy who worked for the government, and he. I think he was a test pilot, mm-hmm. and he got into an accident, and they he got all fucked up, and so they built him better, stronger, mm. faster, and then I think he like escaped from the government or whatever. But whenever he does anything that's any of those things, fast or whatever, they they slow it down. Mm-hmm. So it may. So like that's what he when he's doing his big jumps, he just he's just like. Dun, 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 dun. And then in slow motion, he jumps over stuff or like runs really fast, supposedly. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Working their way backwards from everything I told you, they eventually realize. Like, oh, shit. Who this guy is. Crazy. <laughs> 1976, this guy died in 1911. Yeah. So. 65 years 65 year old corpse and very you know oh the funeral home a sideshow this that a props and movies there was like several things i only that's really crazy yeah it the, this thing was just handed around until it was like forgotten that it was even an actual body at one point and everyone thinks it's just dummy you should look at pictures of it it's fucking creepy it as a especially since it was like just embalmed the one time and nobody was really up doing any upkeep on it they were just Oh, let's just like spray paint this fucking dummy here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, let's put a noose. Fucking crazy. 
as a corpse, he probably had a more lucrative Hollywood career than a lot of Hollywood actors. Right. <laughs> this would make a great movie. <laughs> He's probably been in more movies than James Dean was in. <laughs> oh, I want to like look everyone up and be like, oh my God, there it is. Right. In the background somewhere. <laughs> well, finally, Elmer gets actually like laid to rest and, and buried after, oh, wow, after a nice. long career in yeah. show business. <laughs> that's nice. I they, feel like that's not the first time we've talked about a corpse that <laughs> got embalmed or something and was like Dude, on the road for a really long time. Well, being used for a really long uh, I think about that one guy with the chick that we did the bonus episode on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one who had her in her his bed bedroom. He stole <laughs> yeah. her corpse and like Holy shit, I forgot yeah. about that one. But I think I feel like there's another one where there was Oh, I'm sure there uh, was I can't remember. There, but, I'm yeah. sure there was. I'm sure there was. It's a reoccurring theme, and that's disturbing. <laughs> so 1977, like, you know, it was like December 1976 when they finally, when they discovered Yank that this is arm. like a fucking dead person, a fucking mummified corpse. <laughs> <laughs> and then by 1977, they figured out who he was, and he was laid to rest in Boot Hill, on Boot Hill in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And he was actually put next to an actual Wild West outlaw named Bill Doolin. Oh. Apparently, his body had once been exhibited alongside McCurdy's. Oh, crazy. At some point. But, like, just people just knew he was, like, a corpse, I guess, the whole time. And eventually put him to rest a lot sooner. They, Yeah, he didn't get lost in time. Or maybe his of. embalming wasn't as great. It's just like, dude. Started to stink. It's like, what did this guy use? Right. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty crazy. Yeah. Look up the pictures, please, because it's, it's nuts. But yeah, yeah that is the strange story of uh, the afterlife of Elmer McCurdy. Elmer McCurdy. Well, I have a story here. It's a Native American story. A peace agreement had been struck between the Cree and the Cayena tribes. Following this agreement, members of each tribe would visit the other just for fun. Just to visit, you know? It's nice to get out of the yeah, village for a bit. Yeah, it's nice to see other people. Yeah. On one of these visits to the Cayena tribe, a handsome Cree man became enamored with a Cayena woman. He followed her around all over camp until he was finally able to talk to her alone. You know these types of guys. Mm-hmm. The man asked the woman to come back with him to his camp and, and live with him. Probably laid it on real thick. Well, she was having none of his shit. For one, she was married. <laughs> and another, she probably smelled player on him. And she may have also known that he already had three wives. <laughs> Whatever the case... She was pissed off and she called him a dog face. Well, I would be too, your fourth wife. Right? Like, do I look like a fucking fourth wife to you? And you're already fucking married, so it's like, right. He, of course, laughed at her anger and told her she would be his in the end. Oh, dude. You know, sometimes that actually works, though, when they're all, like, cocky like that. And you're like, no, I hate you, but now I'm hot for you. Right, right. Mm -hmm, That's how that goes, let me tell you. (laughs) Well, a few days later, she was out foraging with the other young women when the Cree man came barreling out of the bushes and grabbed her. She began to fight back, but he busted out a big-ass flint knife and told her that if she did not cooperate, he was going to fucking kill her. Oh, well, that's not cool at all. No. I hate it when guys end up like that. That's not ideal. Mm-mm. Once the big man took off with the woman, the others she was foraging with headed back to camp post-haste to let them know what had just happened. The next day, her husband, Big Elk, returned from a hunt. 
he was the only person that this woman had as her own family. That's his name, Big Elk? Yep. That sounds terrifying. Like, if some guy was named Big Elk... Wouldn't fuck with his wife. Mm-mm, no. He was the only person that the woman had as her family. Her own family was dead or not around. Like, her, her blood relatives were, like, dead or not around or whatever. So mm-hmm. he was basically all she had. She was kind of an orphan out there in the world. With exception with her husband, Big mm-hmm. Elk. Yeah, Big Elk. No one had gone looking for her before Big Elk got home for this reason. None of them were really related. And also because her kidnapper had strong medicine, which was divulged by the other Cree around. They said that the big man was a badass because he had some kind of medicine that allowed him to kill a man without touching him. Medicine is kind of like a native word for magic. It's more than just magic, and I don't mean to trivialize it, but magic is just the simplest way to describe it. If I needed to simply explain the story of Jesus walking on water, I'd say he had magic too. Right. Just, you know, an ineffable thing. Anyway, Big Elk was pretty mad when he found his wife missing. And he was especially mad because no one had even tried to track the Big Cree. I mean, these people were his friends. What the fuck? Big deal if he had strong medicine. So did Big Elk. And he wanted to see whose was stronger. It took Big Elk two days to get to the Cree camp where the Big Cree lived with his three wives and soon-to-be fourth. He first went to the chief and told him what happened. Unfortunately, the chief was also afraid of the Big Cree and his medicine. Still, Big Elk was not afraid and asked the chief to just point him towards the Big Cree's lodge, and he'd take care of it. So the chief pointed the way, and Big Elk walked directly to that lodge and sat down, just inside the doorway, and called out to his wife. On one side of the lodge was the women's side, and the Big Cree sat on his couch at the back. His wife, on the women's side, was crying, on her knees, and holding her hands out to her husband, though she didn't reply to his call. Her hands dropped miserably into her lap, as she heard the Big Cree tell her husband to leave and that she would not be going with him. Big Elk refused to leave without his wife. The Big Cree told him that if he didn't fuck off right then, he was going to kill him, right then and there, with his strong medicine. Try it. I'm not afraid of your medicine, Big Elk said. A third time, the Big Cree threatens Big Elk, who this time just ignored him and sat down. Again, The Big Cree tells Big Elk to leave. Big Elk remains seated and just stares at his adversary directly in the eye. Finally, the Big Cree opens up a red bag hanging around his couch and pulls out a small clay man and places it on the ground, first whispering something to the clay man, who begins walking slowly towards Big Elk around the fire in the middle of the the, uh, lodge. Dude, like puppet masters. He then addresses Big Elk, telling him that the clay man will kill him when it reaches him. <gasps> this is his strong medicine. Big Elk watches the clay man walk towards him. He pulls out his strong medicine. It's a piece of soft deer leather with an image of a spider on it. Oh dear. He prayed a short prayer and placed the leather on the ground. It immediately popped up like a spider and headed towards the little man. <gasps> it roped the little man with some spider silk around his neck and then crawled up the side of the lodge, hoisting the little man closer and closer to it. Big Elk then told the Big Cree that when the spider gets the little man, tear him to shreds, which will in turn kill the Big Cree. Oh, dear. The Big Cree broke down and begged Big Elk to spare him. He agreed. For a price. By the time Big Elk and his wife left, they had two dogs. A trevois, which is two poles that you tie your goods to, and they kind of form an uppercase A, Mm -hmm. where your goods is the horizontal line. 
and the dog is attached up towards the top of the uppercase A. So just okay, a way to carry stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like luggage rack for animals. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. All right. They also got some armor, war clothes, an eagle feather war bonnet, which is just your traditional he- uh, uh, feather headdress you, you see in all the pictures and stuff. Uh, weapons, food, and robes. As the couple left the Big Cree's Lodge, Big Elk said, Well, we go, my woman and I. Come again to my camp and steal her. Come soon. <laughs> I dare ya. Just wanted more shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of weird that both of my stories had to do with women being taken from one place to another. I kind of just randomly chose some out of a book I I, <laughs> I had. You know, I'm I'm betting a lot of the stories, like even the ones where it's not mentioned, there's a lot of oppression going on. Oh yeah, to women. So oh yeah, it's like women have been yeah. oppressed pretty much the whole time. Mm-hmm. Pretty much forever. <laughs> it's better now. It is better now, but it in some parts of the world. Yes, it's still pretty yeah. oppressive in other parts. Yes, that's very where true. I'm really grateful I was not born there under those circumstances where you're not allowed to be Mm -hmm. mouthy and do whatever you want and within reason you you know and be independent like oh hey you can be beaten you can be drowned it doesn't matter you know know, break your feet and Mm -hmm. force them into you know so you can't run away or whatever yeah that's that's terrible but those are four stories from the old west those are four stories from the old west Sort of uh, interesting for us to kind of bring it home. We've been out and about, out abroad for quite some time, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'm always happy to do stuff like this because I fucking love America. Just it has, its, right it's there. got its good points. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you would like to take a look at our, our social medias, we're basically everywhere. Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast. Take a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash Stranger Than Podcast, and you can get for $2 a month ad-free regular episodes, and for $5 a month, you get those plus an additional bonus episode every month, also ad-free. Also, take a look at ageofradio.org. That is our podcast syndicate we're a part of, and there's lots of podcasts there and other fun stuff that you can uh, take a look at. A lot of great podcasts out there. Very many. I recommend trying a lot of them because you never know what you're all of a sudden can't can't live without. That's right. And many of you are still in isolation. So that gives you something to do. <laughs> and with that, we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. <laughs> <laughs>